Well, I want to welcome everyone to SaltCast. Uh, my name is Bob Turner, and I serve as the director of the Sunset Academy of Leadership Training, otherwise known as SALT. And today we are very honored and privileged to have with us Joe Wilkie. I've known Joe for a number of years. Uh, worked with Joe as a student back years ago when he came through Bear Valley, and uh, he is now working in the area of counseling. And uh, we have a lot of things we're going to be talking about, not only in today's podcast, but as well, uh, some podcasts that we will have over the next few weeks. But welcome, Joe. Thanks for joining us in this. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about your background and what led you from uh, where you were in coming through Bear Valley and then furthering your education and taking you down the path of working in the field of counseling. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. I think I was, I remember being six years old and, uh, I love snow days on Sunday because I get to stay home and preach. It'd be like after 45 minutes, they're like, Joe, you repeated yourself a thousand times, sit down. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I always wanted to preach and we went to Bear Valley and my family is very involved there. My uh, brother went to Bear Valley. And so I just knew I'd go to Bear Valley and about halfway through, oddly enough, I mean, I wanted to preach for as long as I could remember. And, and it just, kind of kind of left and it's like i don't know that i want to be a full-time preacher but one area i still wanted to help people i still wanted to work with people and one area that i really felt passionate about was the area of counseling not many people specifically in denver there's not a whole lot of christian counselors mm -hmm. and um that was that was really sad to me that we have a town of three million people you know in the metro area and i could count on one hand the number of christian counselors i knew um in the denver area and so it just it kind of hit me that maybe this is a work I needed to go into. And the second aspect of it was I had struggled with pornography um, from about the age of 12 on to about probably about 20. And um, I was going through Bear Valley, late teens area. And um, yes, yeah, so it just, sorry, this fly is freaking me off. Yes. Um, leave me alone. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but anyway. So I felt really passionate about that, you know, as I was coming out of it and I was meeting people at Bear Valley and, and, and getting accountable. And I became really, really passionate about the area of pornography addiction and, and realizing that, you know, there was not a whole lot of people I could turn to about this that really knew about it and, and not a lot of counselors that could really help me with it. And so, you know, I decided what if I went into this line of work, you know, and, and, and really made my passion about pornography addiction and, and sex addiction. And so that's kind of how I got started is I still love to preach. I still preach once or twice a month at the church I'm at and, and it's, you know, passion of mine as well, but I really felt the need for counseling specifically in the church this day and age. Sure. They'll tell us a little bit about the path because I know in talking to you previously, it's, it's not an easy path. It's not a short path to go down to get the education, to get the training. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. And especially uh, the thing that fascinated me the most is the number of hours that you have to have in order to become a licensed counselor. Yeah, so we, I came out of Bear Valley, and this was, feels like forever, maybe 2012, and Bear Valley is not accredited, and so I went to Amherst, and I got, I finished up my, because uh, they take Bear Valley credits, and finished up the bachelor's, and so by like 2013, I had my bachelor's, and had some traveling that year that I wanted to do, and, and, um, so I took off one semester and started in early 2014 and I finished with my master's in December, 2016. And I'd taken a couple semesters off, but 
um, the last year was pretty much devoted just to my practicum and my clinical, um, which averaged, I think it added up to about 700 hours. Um, and then I think it was 100 hours of supervision in that time. And so that was before I could graduate, had to get that done. And um, I was initially going to be in marriage and family because I thought I could do individual, but it would be great to have, you know, specifically to help marriages. And um, one of the reasons I did not is I just could not fill the hours. They needed um, mm -hmm. 500, they needed 700, 500 that were specifically relational and I just couldn't fill it. Um, and so I had to switch to just professional masters in professional counseling. And um, so, yeah, that was, it was easier to do the 700 individual hours. And then after, since 2016, um, I've been working toward licensure. It's been a slow process. Um, but I am about hundred hours, maybe a little less than hundred hours away from hitting my 2000. And so I've been doing this since well, I started my practicum since maybe January of 2016 and, uh, mainly been in an agency setting. And so I've been working with a lot of underprivileged youth and um, a lot of people in the system. So I've been in court, been subpoenaed a couple of times and, and, um, had to make, you know, plenty of calls on that. And so that was kind of my background is it you just kind of out of the fire in the frying pan, you know, going sure. right into some very difficult cases. But uh, the longer I've gone along, the more I've been able to kind of establish more of what I really wanted to work with, which is um, sex addiction. And so that's kind of been the, um, the path that I've taken these last 1900 hours or so is really getting better at that specific area and working alongside some of the anxiety and depression and, and, and things like that that come along with that. Sure. Well, tell us a little bit about how that begins. I mean, not only because you've experienced it yourself, but as well because of those that you're working with. How does it begin? How does the whole addiction process, especially in the realm of sex addiction, how does that begin and, and how does that relate to, especially in the Christianity as we think about it? Uh, talk a little bit about that. Sure. So addiction, there's, there's six steps to, to addiction. And it's the initial use, and then there's abuse, and then there's tolerance, and after that you become dependent, and then after that you have addiction and relapse. Um, that's the standard. That's what everybody kind of accepts as, as addiction. So it gets started as just usually, usually curiosity. When it starts at a young age, I mean, you have kids that are coming into adolescence, they're coming into puberty, they're getting a lot of hormones that they don't fully understand. Though I also know some kids that started back at like six years old six, seven years old. Um, the average age for, for beginning is 11, but that averages out because some kids make a little, little longer than that before they're really exposed to that. But either way, you're just coming into a difficult time where every kid's on a smartphone. And, and so you're going to run across it. It's not a, if your, your kid's going to run across, but when, and when they do, there's that initial curiosity that's peaked and it goes along specifically for males. It goes along with, with a lot of good feelings, you know, just sexual feelings inside. They're not used to feeling that. And so it kind of brings them back. And then the longer it goes, you know, you, you have the initial use and they abuse and they abuse and they abuse it. And then eventually it turns into the idea where there is tolerance. And, and in my opinion, and I've had people kind of disagree with me on this, the addiction takes over when it starts feeling a need that you have. And that's, in my opinion, when addiction really begins is when you start using that to fill another need that you have. Before it's curiosity, it's not, I'm not saying it's not wrong, but it's kind of curiosity and, and it feels good and you're not really sure what it's about and you kind of know it's wrong, just instinctively, you know, it's wrong. And if you grew up in the church, you do, but when it really takes hold is when it starts to, you're running from some stressor and you run to that and you're running from maybe 
feelings of rejection or abandonment or past trauma or whatever it may be. And you're kind of running from that into pornography and that's when it grabs hold. And that's when I work with a lot of people is, yeah, we work on the triggers and the, you know, the, the usual things to understand the process, but we have to go back and say, Hey, when did this begin? And what hole do you have in your life? What need are you trying to meet through pornography? And if we can figure that out, then we can start kind of figuring out how to, how to short of that up. And so I think addiction just, that's when it starts to, to tilt from just the curiosity and it feels good into actually, you know, starting to abuse it a lot more and you build tolerance, dependence and such. So do you see a connection with uh, age or gender as it relates to addiction? Is there, uh, is there a particular age or maybe a gender that's more prone to that? Is it both men and women? Uh, or young boys and girls, or what, what have you seen in that area? So adolescence is huge. Now, again, we see some, we see some young kids that get into it, um, very young kids, but usually when you're hitting 11, 12, 13, and, and one of the reasons is the prefrontal frontal cortex, which is pretty much the logical aspect, you know, the logical part of the brain isn't fully formed in adolescence, but the other parts are a lot more formed in the prefrontal cortex. And so you have um, you know, where dopamine comes from, it goes in the nucleus accumbens, which is the pleasure center. The reason why I say this is, is it's prime for teens to get involved in pornography addiction because of that reason, because they can't reason through it logically, but their, their hormones and everything else, the dopamine is rushing through them. And so it feels great and they don't have the logic to say, maybe I shouldn't. And so we see a huge increase in teens specifically at that time. Um, but we also, obviously, boys are more visual. And so they're visually stimulated way more than, than women. But interestingly enough, we're seeing a rise in cases in women. And so, um, I mean, I've seen some statistics, some statistics that say basically one in three women are viewing pornography at least once a month, around 32%. Um, in the church, our, the church and, and the culture really mirror each other statistically you'd think that the church would be much lower but it's not and so we're seeing it really take a hold the addiction take a hold in adolescence but by the time you hit 18 to 24 going into college it's really taken a hold and now you're out of your parents house you can stay up all hours of the night doing whatever you want you're paying for your own phone you have a laptop um you have maybe not the best choice in friends you're already making some questionable choices and so 18 to 24 there's statistics that say anywhere from 70 to 80 percent are viewing it once a month and somewhere around 40 percent are viewing it around once a week and so the the statistics are staggering 18 to 24 is very susceptible but even 25 to around 25 to 45 is still around 66 percent and even after age 50 that's once a month and even after age 50 we're seeing um, men that are it's around 50%, one and two are still viewing it once a month, at least. Um, and so it definitely attacks men more just based on how we're visually wired uh, by God. But I think women also, it's becoming increasingly common and specifically, um, 50 shades of gray, things like that. I think get them it's that's, that's just pornography in written form. And I think that kind of opens the door toward more women seeking some of those things out and it's normalizing among women, even in the church. Speaking of that, and this is an area that I think is very important for us to, to at least get into it now from a, from a standpoint of elders, deacons, leadership in a congregation, 
what do they need to know? I mean, this thing is widespread, obviously. I mean, if, if the church is mirroring the, the culture in which we live and we're seeing the, those kind of statistics, it would seem to me that oftentimes we tend to be in denial of the problem that exists in the church of this nature, uh, or maybe thinking that it's not as bad uh, as people say that it is, uh, which maybe is a form of the denial or trying to neglect it. But what would you tell leaders in the church to help them know what they need to be either aware of or what they need to know that would help them as leaders in working with those in their congregation in regards to this area? I would say the biggest thing is it has to be talked about. It has to be talked about. We have to normalize. It's tough to say when exactly it began, but I think the church has run from the idea of sex in general. We don't like using the word. We don't like talking about it. I can probably count on one hand the number of times I heard it growing up in sermons and Bible classes. It just really wasn't talked about. So the first thing for leaders to know is, is you've got to talk about it. You've got to normalize it because sex is from God. Sex is beautiful. We shouldn't be running from it. And we allow the culture to define that. And that's really what this goes back to is a misunderstanding of the purpose of sex. So if elders can, can work with their congregations on understanding the reasons for it and why we wait till marriage, you know, work with young kids on why we wait till marriage and, and why pornography is so detrimental to marriages um, and helping kids understand that, you know, sex is something to be cherished and not something to be thrown away or not something to seek through porn. Um, we've got to talk about it a lot more, but I also think that Another thing to know is, again, just look at the prevalence of it. I think a lot of people have no idea, the people that I've spoken with, especially um, the older generation, which is often elders, they have no idea of how widespread this is. And so what I would say is get, get educated on it. And there's a few, enough.org um, has some great statistics on it. I think provenmen.org has some other great statistics. And so I would tell leaders, become very familiar with who's struggling with this because it's, it's tempting to say, only perverts struggle with it or, you know, people get into the, not my kid, you know, and, and leaders can kind of follow along with that. Like, Oh, it's not a problem in our church. And we understand it's out there, but it's not really a problem in our church. Um, we have a pretty good pulse on things. This is one of the most silent struggles because you can do it in the privacy of your, of your own home. You never have to worry about, you know, if you're using drugs, if you're using alcohol, there are signs, right? People can struggle with pornography for 30 years and no one knows. Their wives don't even know mm. if they're good enough at, at, you know, stopping it. And so they're at hiding it. And so that's what I would say for leaders is we got to normalize sex. We've got to talk about it. We've got to get in Bible classes and sermons, start small groups, you know, um, help parents understand it and talk to their kids more and become experts in your congregation on this subject where they know, Hey, we can go to, you know, elder so-and-so and they're going to help us in that area. So do a lot of research on your own and, and understand what you're looking at. So if they were looking to get help, so they're, they're working at becoming aware of the issue and, and maybe the prevalence of it in their congregation, but how would they contact you? If, if someone was wanting to say, look, let's, let's get a hold of Joe and, and he can help us either investigate this further or to maybe point them in the right direction, how, how would they contact you? to to learn more sure so my email is pretty simple if you can spell my last name um joe wilkie counseling at gmail.com um pretty pretty standard i'm going to have another one as well i'm going to be doing i'm um, changing the name because it's not quite as uh, not quite as catchy 
But um, for right now, that's the best way to get a hold of me, I'd say, is email. And I'd also hand out my phone number, which might be difficult on here, but maybe in the, in the description we can post it. Because I'm open to take phone calls. I, I get them from all over. And um, I've worked with people in, in the South. I've worked with people in California. Um, worked with people all over. Talked to plenty of people um, about this issue. And, and even if I'm not providing counseling necessarily, I can still help put them in the right direction, tell them what to look for. And so, um, yeah, shoot me an email, joewilkiecounseling at gmail.com. Um, and I try to respond pretty quick. Well, I appreciate that. And I know others will appreciate that. And we're really just getting started for those who are uh, listening in on the podcast this week. I, I want to thank you for your time and especially for taking time to visit with us about such uh, a vital subject. My first time that I really was aware of just how widespread this was, I think I told you was at the true uh, ministry conference uh, last year, and uh, and um, Jack uh, Dodgen and uh, Chris Croats were both speaking uh, about the subject. I know you know both of those guys, and uh, and I was just I sat and listened, and I was like, I I was in denial. I was like, surely it cannot be as bad as they're saying, but uh, it is. And and I've had since people talk to me about that, and and I now know how valuable it is to have somebody that you can point them to, to talk to about this particular subject. So thank you. I appreciate you taking time to join us. And I'm looking forward to visiting with you further in our next podcast. But I want to thank everybody for listening in. And thank you for taking time to uh, listen to the SALTcast. And we look forward to continuing our discussion next week with Joe Wilkie.